to the Psalms to pick up where Pastor Bob left off of sorts. He kicked us off uh, with a series in the book of Psalms about five weeks ago. And so we're going to keep that promise and we are headed to Psalm 23. And so you can turn there. Some of you don't need to turn there because you have it memorized, but it's always good to turn. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we are excited about what you have for us in your word. Psalm 23, just a, a crown jewel in the collection of psalms, a song of your goodness, Lord. So prepare our hearts and speak to us and help us to hear that still small voice in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, by way of introduction, the psalms, the word means a song, and uh, the title in Hebrew of Psalms is really praises. And so it's really was Israel's uh, collection of hymns to be used uh, in Judaism in their worship. And so uh, God's people sing. God's people sing. Now, you think that's not a profound statement. It really is because singing in a worship service Joyful songs in a congregation sets us apart from every other world religion. Did you know that there is no congregational singing in Buddhism? Uh, when Hindus get together to worship, they do not sing joyful songs together. And in Islam, uh, musical instruments are, are forbidden, and so there's no music. There's some chanting in these uh, um, religions, but there's no joyful singing like you just uh, participated in. Even the Jews, and, and the Jews are, are who really brought us the songs. Even the Jews today, there's not a lot of singing going on in the congregations. The, the cantor, the rabbi, will sing a little bit. And uh, true, on some holy days, there'll be some singing of the old Hebrew songs. Uh, uh, but uh, by and large, after the temple was destroyed, sacrifice ended, and so did a lot of the music. Because uh, rabbis taught that it was against um, the, God's law to play an instrument on the Sabbath. And so really, we're, we're, if you want to go into a religious setting where the congregation is joy-filled and singing praises to God. There's only one place you're going to get that. It's the Christian uh, congregation. And it sets us apart. Well, of course we're singing. Of course we're a praise-based religion of sorts. We have this relationship with the living God who intervened into our lives, saved us, shed his own blood so that we would be saved and not perish eternally. That kind of love gives you something to sing about, amen? God's people were always busting out songs, always from the very beginning when God uh, delivered his people from Egypt. 
right? So as soon as uh, they got through the Red Sea, it was time to sing a hymn of praise to God. And so it started way back in the time of Moses. In fact, the book of Psalms is a collection of God-inspired. They're not just ordinary songs. They're God, it's God's word, right? God is inspiring these songwriters. And so there's a collection spanning from Moses' time. Moses has a psalm or two in there. Psalm 90 is a, a psalm that Moses penned. So from 1400 B.C. Uh, to 1000 B.C. is King David's time, and that's when the majority of the song, psalms or songs were written, all the way to Ezra's time, 444 B.C. And so that would be a span of 1,000 years for those 150 uh, songs. So David wrote half of them. And as I said, it's not so much David as the Holy Spirit stirring in the hearts of people to praise God for his character. The Psalms really have a lot of different themes. God's character, his faithfulness, his righteousness, uh, his goodness, and uh, telling us about uh, how God intervenes and saves and, and um, about the Messiah. So some of the Psalms are actually prophetic and talk about the coming of Christ. And don't think they're just, just songs and poems because they're instruction and they are doctrine because it's the word of God. Whether it comes in the form of poetry or not, Jesus, our Lord, answered the Pharisees who were trying to trap him. And uh, they had all these trick questions for him. And Jesus said, hey, I've got a question for you. And so he said, quoting Psalm 110 and verse 1, he said, I've got a question. Whose son is the Messiah? And, and they're all uh, David's son. He comes from David. Jesus said, well, I'm just curious about Psalm 110 and verse 1. How, I, David calls him Lord. So the Lord said to my Lord, David said. So I'm just curious, how can the Messiah be a human being related to David and also the Lord? which is the doctrine of the deity of Christ. So he's trying to tell them by supporting the deity of Christ that Jesus is equal to God by using a psalm, you see? And so it was just a wonderful collection of not just uh, songs, but we, we're looking at the word of God. Jesus uh, sang a hymn on the night he was betrayed, right? After the supper, the last supper, what happened? They're singing Psalm 118, the scholars say. That's what you sing after Passover. And so uh, uh, when the guys were, were uh, in prison and suffering, they, they busted out a hymn of praise to the Lord. Paul and Silas there in prison in Philippi. And so we most often turn to these psalms for encouragement and comfort because uh, it's funny because people will say I like songs and only Christian songs should always be God centered not about us right half of the Psalms are about human experience half of the Psalms are saying oh I'm troubled and I'm going through this and I feel like I feel I feel right I'm depressed why am I troubled oh my soul and 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 encouraging 
uh, David was encouraging himself. So we turn to the Psalms for instruction, for doctrine, but also mostly you turn to the Psalms when you're hurting. When your best friend turns on you, when somebody lets you down, when you're in pain, when you're fear, when fear grips you, boy, that's where you go. And uh, there's always healing and wholeness. And, and if we're going to talk about where you go when you're in a scary place, <laughs> the crown jewel of the collection by far, as I've already said, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is not just for funerals. Amen? <laughs> it really isn't. I, I mean, if I could just tear one page out and you had to have that for, you know, on your desert island, I would like that psalm out of all of them. Man, that's just a beautiful, beautiful song of God's goodness. So we're going to take a look at that uh, this evening. Now, context. Most commentators say that David wrote this psalm when he was older and in facing some kind of trouble particularly a dangerous and dark season. There's a shadow involved, the shadow of death. And so he needs to remind himself of a few things. And that's what we need to do when we fall under the shadow of any dark thing. You need to remind yourself of some facts to guide your feelings and not let your feelings guide the facts. Amen? Amen. Here we go. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Perfection. I mean, what can you add? Don't take away one word of that. Don't add to one word of that. It's just six verses of goodness. Now, it unfolds quite nicely into three arenas of God's goodness. If it's a survey of that goodness of God, we see, first of all, green pastures, one through three, right? So it's really talking about good, God's goodness in, in how he provides for us in everyday life. And then secondly, note takers, dark Shadows and valleys. Uh, we're going to talk about that in verses 4 and 5. And that will tell us about God's goodness as it relates to comforting us through fearful times. And then finally, our heavenly home with just kind of a P.S. for But what a P.S. it is. God's ultimate destiny for us to be with God forever. Eternal life. Eternal life. Wow. That's why Jesus came. So let's get to those green pastures right away, all right? So here they come at us. The Lord is our shepherd. Now let's talk about this. Never is God's heart for you and for me more clearly revealed than in this psalm. You can't get away with from what 
God's intent is for us, what his will is, and that is peace. The absence of all worry, an anxiety-free, stress-free life. That's what he wants. That's what we don't have usually, but that's what God wants. So if God wants that and we don't have it, the problem is not with God. We are doing something incorrectly. And this psalm just was going to set us straight. God wants us to be carefree. And if you think about it, if the Lord is your shepherd, God Almighty, who spoke and the worlds leap into existence and then he calls, he he created all the stars and he calls them by name and by his great power, none of them are missing. So if he is responsible to be your caretaker in every aspect of your life down to the number of hairs on your head, then how could you have any cause for any angst, any anxiety, any care? It's just, for a Christian, worry is the biggest waste of time and the greatest folly of all. It is just uncalled for if the Lord, God Almighty, is your shepherd. The shepherd, David was a shepherd. He knows what it's like between the shepherd and the sheep and all the metaphors in his head. And in the Holy Spirit just says, hey, I'm like the shepherd, and you're like my sheep. And, and David is just going to drive that home. And it's just a beautiful metaphor. And so David sees himself as weak, defenseless, kind of foolish. Sheep aren't known for their intellect. They really aren't. You know, one sheep starts, you know this. I, I, I've seen news articles about it. One sheep starts going out into the freeway and the rest of them follow. They don't even care. They can see clearly this is a bad idea. But they keep, I mean, the wool keeps piling up, you know, and they keep jumping off the cliff because, you know, the guy in front of me did it, you know. And so they're not known for that. They can't defend themselves. Can you imagine a wolf comes in and the, and the sheep, you know, bear its teeth you know it doesn't work that way and so David says I'm like that you you know listen the psalm will not benefit you until you get to a humble place of understanding you're defenseless and and sometimes foolish and, and 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 you get lost easy and if you get turned over sometimes you can't get turned back up somebody has to come around and help you back up hey you're not old yet wait until you're old You'll find out. It's not so easy to get around everywhere. So anyway, (laughs) our basis and confidence and joy and peace is knowing the Lord is my shepherd. Do you know in the Hebrew you can emphasize things, like kind of underline them, the way it's formed in the Hebrew? And he's underlining my. He's my. God is my caretaker. He's responsible for me. All my vested interests, everything that concerns me, my successes, my failures, my bills, everything, my health. It's all, you know, one day my thoughts were accusing me as all our thoughts often do. And God is greater than our thoughts and he knows everything. And the thought that came to me was, you know, you're a mess. You know what? And what, you know what I said back to myself? 
I said, but I'm God's mess. I'm God's mess. I belong to God. I'm not my own responsibility. Newsflash, I didn't create myself. I didn't someday uh, in eternity past said, I want to be created. I have nothing to do with this. I didn't will myself into existence. I didn't birth myself. I didn't plan my life. I, I, I am here because somebody else thought me up and said, I want a Ross, and, and I'm going to bring these two people together, Joe and Ronnie, and they're going to have a Ross because I want him, right? And, and just put substitute your name in that. So why that? I think that, that it's my job to take care of me. I, it's not my job to take care of me. It's my job to cooperate and work hard and do all the common sense things. But ultimately, who's in charge? The guy who owns me. I don't own myself. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. So we're doubly, doubly sure of these promises. Not only did he create you, but then he redeemed you. And Peter says, not with stuff like gold that comes from the ground to the rock. He didn't pay money for you. He dripped his blood for you. Yeah, you're, you're important to him. He redeemed us. He bought us. And if he owns you, he created you. He owns you. He bought you back. All of your worries are his worries. You're saying, this is so common sense. Well, then why are you worrying all the time if it's so common sense? Amen? You've got that look on your face. I'm just telling you. I'm looking at you, and you got that thinking look, which is good. All right. By the way, I just want to say this. You'll never have any of the goodness of this psalm unless the blood that bought you back, you've encountered that. Notice the placement of Psalm 23. Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 is the prophetic um, psalm that describes the crucifixion. There are no sweet songs before Psalm 22. Only after and right after. So none of this is going to work. For you, it's not your psalm, he's not your shepherd, it won't be peace and it won't be quiet waters. Unless the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It has touched your heart and Christ has entered your soul. And so Jesus is gonna say, Listen, do not worry. You're gonna, not going to be in want. You're not going to lack anything. Paul the Apostle wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if God is for us, who could be against us? But he says, he who did not spare his own son, won't he give us everything else? If he didn't withhold Christ, isn't he going to give you all the smaller little things in life. Jesus is going to say, I, and I'm talking about I shall, be in, I, I shall not be in want. How could you come up short if God is your caretaker, right? Jesus says, silly humans, come on. Look at the ravens. They're nasty birds. They're nasty. And, and your, your heavenly father feeds nasty, obnoxious birds. 
right? And so he says, take a look at your spring tulips. Do you know how long a tulip lives? I Googled it. Five to seven days. It seems like they live a lot longer to me, but that's what Siri said. So that's how it is. Listen, Jesus says, if, if God takes care of a tulip like that and dresses it like that today and tomorrow it's in your yard waste bin, how much more a human soul is he concerned about? The Lord is your shepherd. You shall lack no good thing because he's God and he's yours. You belong to him. He belongs to you. My beloved is mine. How does that go? <laughs> My beloved is mine, and, and I am his. <laughs> and his banner over me is love. I got that part. All right. We, uh, it's just really awesome. So the, the three quick things, the green pastures, the quiet waters, the right paths, they're a consequence of belonging to him. You've got to belong to him. And... Uh, that means you, you've got to receive him. You've got to believe in his name. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. And then the green pastures, the quiet waters, and the right paths um, make sense. So green pastures, is there anything more? I've got a picture of those sheep laying down. Ah, come on. <laughs> that was mostly girls. I heard that. <laughs> uh, let's try an experiment, guys. Just say, here are the sheep in the green pastures. Ready? Yeah, no. You guys can't even fake it. <laughs> yeah. Did I hear a shotgun blast loading? I, I heard a... What? Lamb chops. You're a hunter-gatherer. Well, that's not the image I was trying to create there. Thank you for that picture. Listen, green pastures, what is he talking about? The shepherd makes sure, in our case, 24-7, rain or no rain, drought, famine, whatever, the Christian who has God as their shepherd will always be nourished by his word. His word nourishes us. It gives us what we need to be healthy. It renews our mind. It keeps us free of spiritual disease. And so he... He, he, and, and once you know the truth, you can lay down and rest. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice he makes me lie down in green pastures. You do notice that. That's a forced word because some of God's sheep or some of God's peeps, they don't <laughs> want to lay down because they don't want to eat the green grass that God provides. They're eating other stuff and they, you know, like a dog that won't sit. You have to kind of pressure it down there, right? Listen, God looks at you and me and says, you are going to be happy if I have to force it on you. <laughs> you are going to rest. You are going to have peace. You are going... Uh, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will rest you in the Greek. I will be the person who makes sure that you rest. How will he do that? Oh, <laughs> the Lord has a myriad of ways of making us rest. Listen, just cooperate with him so he doesn't have to force it 
He'll let you burn out. He'll turn up the heat. He will show you, uh, are you ready to come to me yet? All you were heavy burdened? Or do you need another brick on top of uh, the weight that you're carrying? Stubbornness, we laugh at it. Sometimes it can be good if it's endurance. But stubbornness with the Lord, oh, that's just useless because he always wins. Amen? So he, he gets us to lie down. He wants us to. Um, uh, and then the quiet waters. I got another picture. I just love pictures. You know, listen, if, I, if you just think, oh, I got more guys that time. <laughs> I can get healed of anything if you just uh, let me go up to Spring Lake for a sunny afternoon and walk around there. Oh, when the sun is setting and there are not a lot of people around. And you just hear the, the birds or the crickets. This is what God says. Listen, I want this for you. I want to restore you. And the picture of the water is he takes us by the water where, uh, where you drink of this water. You eat of the, what the Lord provides. And you drink the water that he provides. He says, listen, you drink ordinary water, you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I provide, you won't be thirsty anymore. You know, your insecurities and that gaping hole and those, those fears that haunt you. You, you can drink that away with the living water. And so, uh, you know, he can lead a horse to water, right? But you can't make it drink. And so let us cooperate with him and be thirsty for him. So if you're not eating, you're not resting, and if you're not drinking from the quiet waters, then you're not going to be restored. You're just going to unravel. And so... One of the other things, the nature of a shepherd's um, care is to guide the clueless sheep down right paths. Uh, listen, there are two paths, right? There's always a decision. How many decisions? Some of them are minor, and some of them, some of you may be facing like, wow, I'm in this place right now. A right or a left is really going to make a ginormous difference in my life. Listen, you don't know anything because you have not been to tonight, nor have you been to tomorrow. So you don't have knowledge of what's waiting for you. The only one who can guide you on the right path and tell you which one of those is the right one for you is your shepherd. And the only way that you're going to hear that voice is to hang out with him. And to hear that still small voice. Yeah, listen, thank you. You can go back to the verse. Um, it's important to have guidance. Now, most of us have GPS devices. Raise your hand if you do. Yeah, everybody, your phone, right? Well, mine stopped working. And you have no idea how blessed you are to have a GPS that works. It is so much trouble. It is so frustrating not to know where to go. I had to go buy a dresser from some guy on Craigslist, and, and, and I said, hey, listen, tell me how to get there. And he's kind of in a rush, and he says, he gave me the address. He says, plug it into your GPS, and it'll take you right to my door. Click. And I'm like, no. I had to call him back and go, I don't have a GPS. <laughs> oh, my GPS. 
it wanted to take me, I tried to tell Barb, it's broken, it's broken. And she says, just, just tried it out tonight. And it was trying to get me to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> and they've tried to fix it at the Apple store. It's not working. I went to India and something happened. And, uh, and that now it's all messed up. Listen, I'm trying to tell you. Back in the day when GPS systems just came out, uh, a guy, let's call him Terry Tomasini, because that's who it was. Uh, Terry Tomasini and I were coming home from a retreat in Santa Cruz. And uh, he's like all excited about, listen to this, GPS. It, she knows exactly where we are. And I said, we're going up Highway 17 in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And it suddenly malfunctioned and started saying to exit onto Gulch Valley Road. But it got stuck. And it kept saying, exit onto Gulch Valley Road. Enter onto, you know, over and over again. Now, I looked up the word gulch. It's a narrow and steep-sided ravine. So the GPS is saying, just turn into the ravine. And you go down the steep hill and, and plunge there, you know. And it just keeps telling you that, listen, your heart is deceitful above all things. You can't trust it. It's always telling you, exit onto the gulch road. Enter, you know, always exit, exit, exit. I, how many of you have exited? And you thought it was the right thing to do, and it was Gulch Valley Road. Don't even raise your hand, because I already know. You don't know about what's tonight. You've never been to tonight. It hasn't unfolded yet. You don't have the map to tonight. There's only one person who knows what the map tomorrow holds, and you have to touch base with him. He will lead you in the right way. If you just yield all of your agenda to him, just let him lead you. Let him lead you. Let's move on. So how about when those right paths lead to scary places? Let's talk about that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have nothing to be afraid because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You even prepare a table before me. It's like fine dining in the wilderness in front of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So we begin, we've been in the pasture. Now, how about when we're in peril? So two Ps to help you remember. There'll be three eventually. So pasture and peril. So lest we misunderstand the Christian life, um, will not always be a walk by quiet waters outwardly or laying in green clover. Inwardly, you can have that 24-7. You can. Outwardly, it, will, it most often will not look that way because Jesus called us to what? <laughs> if you follow me down the right path, you will pick up your cross and follow me into many dangers, toils, and snares. And, and, but that doesn't change the inward disposition, the peace, the anxiety-free life that all God's people can have because of the facts of who's in charge. So Jesus called us uh, to take the right path. I mean, sometimes you're in a scary place because you took the wrong path, but not always. 
Sometimes say, you took the right path. Moses took a right path. The Lord led them to that cul-de-sac in the wilderness. You, you realize that Exodus 14, when Pharaoh and his armies coming down, the Lord's responsible. He led them there because he had a work to do in their hearts and lives. David had to face Goliath uh, down his right path by his still waters. <laughs> Elijah had to face Jezebel. Ooh. Paul and uh, Paul went to prison, and our Lord went to a cross. And David didn't just face Goliath, did he? The Philistines, King Saul, moral failure, rebellion of his own son, who wanted the throne so bad from his father, he plotted to overthrow and kill his dad, and his dad had to run and escape for his life. And commentators say, it was that event that brought the psalm about. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, it says of another time when, when at Ziglach, David lost everything. And it said, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. David was good at this. So here he is. Absalom wants to kill him. He's on the run. And he says, I'm facing the valley of the shadow of death. This kid's going to kill me. I got to remind myself of who's in charge here. Is it Absalom and his army who's turned against me? Or is the Lord my shepherd who has a rod and a staff to beat back any threat that comes near his beloved sheep who he owns and cares and loves? He just has to remind. Remind yourself every single time there's a threat that opposes the knowledge of God Cast that thing down and make it obey Christ and his word. Do the work up here. The Holy Spirit will be available to help you with that. And so David is uh, convinced of God's presence even though death is breathing down his neck. And here's what comforts him. He says, uh, you're with me. You're with me. This is something, and I hope you catch this tonight, from, the, from cover to cover, it repeats over and over and over again to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, right? For I am with you, for I'm with you. So the basis, listen, for your courage and your confidence and your boldness and the absence of any fear in light of whatever's breathing down the back of your neck, listen, he's with you. And you have to say it to yourself, God Almighty is with me and joined my spirit to Christ, unfused to God in an unbreakable bond that not even death can separate. So therefore, I say, what can mere men do to me? He says, the Lord is my helper. For he has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Over and over and over again. Though you walk through the fire to a nation. Though you walk through the fire. Though you pass through a flood. You don't have anything to fear. For guess who's with you? Me. I'm with you. And he's not just holding your hand, Christian. Jesus told the disciples on the last night of his life, I will send you someone. God, the Holy Spirit. He will be with you. And he will be in you. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 13, chapter uh, 13, verse 5. 
Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Christ is in me. That's God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit make their home in me, have fused me together to him that he says nothing in all creation, not death, life, angels, demons, poverty, sword, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from that. So therefore he says, listen, I just have to remind myself, here comes Absalom, here come the guys. God, you're with me. The other thing that I like about this is that he says it's the shadow of death. Death for us has no substance, right? A shadow of a dog cannot bite you, all right? It's the shadow. It's not the substance because of what Christ has done. Death has no meaning to us. And so David is saying, listen, even though I, and then fill in the blank, even though I... Fill in your blank, your scariest thing right now. Even though I'm not afraid because why? God is with me. Paul said at the end of his life, hey, when I needed people, they deserted me right at the end. But God, Jesus, he stood by me. That's what God does. You know what? He named himself that. Emmanuel, God with us. He just said, I just thought I'd... Help you out by every time you say my name, you'd have to know the definition of that name is that I'm with you. That's the God I am. I'm the with you God. That's what Emmanuel, with you, L, God. Emmanuel, the with you God. <laughs> right? You know, here's the deal. Lest you think I know all of that. If it goes through your mind, I know all of this. Check out your life. Do you really know all of this? Then you should have an anxiety-free life when death is doing its thing. And death can take its form of many different things, as we know. Uh, But he says, you know, you're with me. You're with me. When I was in the fourth grade, I guess I was eight years old or so, whatever, uh, my mother and father split. And... uh, we lived in, on Long Island, New York, where I was born and raised until I was eight. And then my mom left my dad for a good reason and moved us to Boston, where her family's from. And we lived in, for lack of a better term, the ghetto. <laughs> we lived in a very dangerous neighborhood. In fact, we came home one night, and the whole house was ransacked. Our dog was hurt in the corner and yeah, I know, sad. <laughs> and all our dresser drawers were all thrown o- all over the place. I was so scared my, with no dad in the house. I, I'm the oldest, so I four kids and my mom. And we all slept together in one room. You know, the police came, but, you know, nobody was ever found. Six months later, my dad and mom reconciled for the rest of their lives. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. My dad repented of his ways, (laughs) and it worked, and he moved back in. The first night my dad was in in his bed, I slept like a baby. I was so, I'll never forget it. I was so, I was, every night was a nightmare to go to bed. But when dad was there, my dad was big and strong. You know, my mom was 4'11", that's what happened to me. (laughs) 
My dad was six foot tall and very strong and uh, very aggressive. And uh, when my dad, oh, my dad was, my dad had his problems, like all dads, but he was a good papa bear. He was a good papa bear. And we felt, listen, your dad, Jesus is on the boat. The boat's not going to go down. When Christ is on the boat, that's what he's saying. You guys got so little faith. A little wind comes up. I'm the son of God. I said we're going across. I'm on the boat with you. Are we all going to drown? Yeah, we're going to You don't even care. Right. That's it. I love that little jab, you know. <laughs> not only are we going to drown and you don't even care. You're just down there and just sleeping, you know. You know why Jesus is sleeping? Because he doesn't have a care in the world. Doesn't have a care in the world. And you're thinking, well, that's easy because he's God. You know what? (laughs) He is God. But he laid down his deity. He laid it aside. And he is fully man as well. So uh, two things also that comfort him besides... um, the fact, the given, that the Lord is with them. He says the, the rod the shepherd carries was to, to fend off any threat. So if, if the shepherd's pretty good beating back the enemy, how good is God? Nothing is going to get to you. Nothing. Nothing's going to get to you. That God hasn't just said, okay, I'm going to use that. I can use that. But he's got you. He's got you. And the staff, it leads you, listen, oh, the staff. The staff is saying, I walk through the valley. This is passing. This shadow, I'm going to go through it because he takes his staff, and the staff is meaning forward march. We're going through this. Whatever thing that's troubling you right now, trust me, because first of all, he's beaten all the evil back there. And secondly, he's marching you through it. And that thing that's got your attention right now, it's going to pass. It is going to pass. You are going to be on the other side of it shortly. That's why he's comforted. And yes, Absalom stopped. God put an end to him. David wanted, uh, he told the army, catch him, keep him alive for my sake. Don't kill him. But the Lord allowed him to get his big fat head filled with ego and pride and malice and murder to get it stuck in a tree branch. (laughs) And he got caught there, you know. So God just knows how to deal with everything. Amen. So verse five, verse five, in the middle of this chaos is the beautiful picture, which I love. He sets a table. What is this about? He's hosting a table. He's hosting a lavish dinner. So he's saying, listen, all hell is breaking loose around me, right? My world's sort of outwardly upside down. But here's God's vantage point. This is how he's got me in my heart, right? When, when I'm right up here. It's as if God is saying, okay, we're going to have a, a beautiful, lavish dinner feast celebration right now. And you're like, but, 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 look, Absalom's coming. Oh, no, 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 no. Absalom's on a chain. Nothing's getting past 
the boundaries. So let us set up a table. There's no rush. There's no panicking. There's no hurrying. This is, is going to be the best tablecloth is out there. There's a table setting. And the Lord is serving David and saying, listen, well, you know, it's a lavish meal. It's a bunch of French food that you, you can't pronounce the name and you can't afford to eat it. Right? <laughs> that was funny. Come on. That was funny. So, yeah. In ancient times, they would, when you walked into somebody's home, it was well-to-do, they'd anoint your head with some lotion. You know, I mean, hygiene was hard back then. And, and, and they would just anoint some soothing lotion or some fragrant thing. It was like anointing you with the, just something that filled up the house with a beautiful smell. And it was a wonderful thing. And God still anoints Believers with the Holy Spirit, the fragrance of Christ, the gifts and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He anoints us. He waits on us. He spreads the table with your favorite foods. And he says, listen, a cup full up would be plenty with God serving. But God's nature of generosity, he's pouring and he's like, whoops, you know, he pours out more grace than you need more strength than you need. I love the scripture that says, as your day, so shall your strength be. In other words, whatever's facing you tonight at home, tomorrow morning, whatever that is, God says, I will pour into your life the strength that you will meet all the way. You will come all the way up and over. It will not just be enough to get by. The cup overflows. Well, you'll have more. You'll have excess of what you need by putting your trust in your shepherd, who's your personal shepherd, who's waiting on you. Who has a God like this? I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Who is a God who will say, listen, your feet are dirty, they're filthy, you know, they're tired, they could use a little rubbing, a little cleaning, let me just become your slave And wash your dirty feet and wash your sins away while I'm at it. There he is just saying, listen, the world's upside down. There's threats all over the place. I am stressed out. And the Lord's like saying, oh, no, no. Put your eyes here. Let me prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies so that they're watching. And unfortunately, we have enemies And if you don't have any, what's your problem? (laughs) You're supposed to have some. You're supposed to be friendship with God creates and provokes enemies, right? Well, well, if you don't, I'm kidding around with that. You don't have to have enemies. I don't even know that I have enemies, but I know there are people who, anyway, never mind. (laughs) You have spiritual enemies. Everybody in this room has somebody who's trying to kill you. It's called the devil. Don't cooperate with him. Okay, so a full cup of blessing overflowing. Okay, final thought, and it's just a thought for tonight. As we wrap up, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. It could be mercy. It's really hard. The the Hesed love is hard to describe because it's like takes 12 adjectives in English to catch it. It's like compassion, kindness, 
uh, mercy, love, it's all of that, right? So surely goodness and mercy will follow me, question mark, all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I promised you a third P. So it's life in the pasture and been through the peril and now entering the presence, right? Pastor Jim, I'm sure you had that, right? This shepherd provides everything we need in life and in the life to come. Charles Spurgeon called these two graces of mercy, love, goodness, goodness and love, let's call it love because that's what it is. Twin uh, guardian angels. That's what he called them. He said these graces are like twin guardian angels. Now, God has two choices when dealing with you. Goodness and love. Those are two choices. That's all he has for you. Everything else, all the bad and the negative things he took out on his son. He has two ways of dealing with the Christian. Goodness and mercy. That's it. Those are his two. Now, what is it that the two, mercy and goodness, are following him? They're not leading. Do you ever wonder why are they following you? Why are you saying they're following you? Listen, you want peace? You want to enjoy green pastures and quiet waters and restoration of your soul? You'll have none of that unless goodness and mercy is following behind you, dealing with all your messes and all of your mistakes and all of the dumb things that you and I have done. So he's saying, listen, I'm looking back on my life. I could die. But I have peace because I know, listen, and I'm going to be in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because when I look back on my life through Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite, taking a census when I was tempted of the devil, it says there, and he did it. He was a terrible father, like probably most fathers who try to do their best, and I'm sure he tried to do his best, but it was not enough. Terrible dysfunctions. And here's what he's saying. God is behind me, and as I repent and learn and grow and own all of that and renounce, he's working all of that for good. And he's being merciful and covering my shame. In Chronicles, that talks about what happened in Kings, there's no mention of Bathsheba. It skips right over the whole Bathsheba affair. Pun intended. Now, why? Because according to God, that never happened because it's washed away. All of your sins will be washed away. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall never be put to shame. That means... There will be nothing on that day. You could lose reward for unfaithfulness, but you will not be put to shame. He will not use your sins against you. And here's what he's saying. The goodness of God to go behind you and work something out for good that you really messed up. The Bathsheba thing? Come on, the first son dies. The second son is Solomon, who is by blood related to Christ. So God brings the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God the Son, through the line of Bathsheba. That's goodness and mercy following him. 
All right. That's what he does. He took David's worst nightmare and turned it into something beautiful and redemptive. Now, if you're thinking in your sick mind, why don't we why don't I go out and do something terrible because something beautiful will come of it? You just voided that whole principle. It's not going to happen. God's smarter than us. Amen? He's just smarter than us. He's not going to do something like that. He's on to all of us. And so that's what he's saying. And then he says, that kind of goodness, that kind of mercy is going to be the thing that ushers me into the presence of God forever. Now, you talk about heaven. We got some glimpses there in Revelation, but quite frankly, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, No eye has ever seen, no, no ear has ever heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So go ahead and try to think about it. He says you can't because it's, you've never thought of it. You've never seen it. You've never heard it. You, you imagine. You can't imagine it. Now, I know somebody who just went there. And so did some of you. Tom Greenland. Now, he wasted away. And I just want to tell you about the goodness and mercy of God. He wasted away to skin and bones. And he's a tall man. So it was painful to see him. But he, and I spent some time with him at the end. He was so funny and so wry, that sense of humor of his. And we just had some really good laughs and good prayer time. And he said, listen, I love, and I think I mentioned this. He said, I love my favorite scripture. And he was weak, but he got it all out. And he said, my favorite scripture is the thief on the cross. He said, because like me, he was not perfect, but he had a change of heart. And Jesus told him, today, you'll be in paradise with me. And he just smiled, this peaceful smile. He was in the Lord's presence not more than 24 hours later after that. And I just imagine him out of that body in a new body. But there's no way to imagine the glories. I mean, Revelation says it's bright and shiny, looks like emeralds coming down from heaven. And there's like a sea that looks like crystal glass. And there's a lot of fire, flame, lightning kind of things and beautiful rainbow emerald things. And yeah, <laughs> streets that look shiny like gold and trees that keep growing fruit and uh, lions laying down with the lamb and uh, no war. And God's saying, now, finally, at last, the dwelling of God is with men. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And there will be no more death, mourning, crying, sorrow, or pain. For the former things are gone. And how did you get there? How, are you, how do you know you're going there? Because goodness and mercy has been following you all the days of your life. <laughs> and that goodness and mercy and love is going to carry you on that day when you breathe your last. And some pastors there cracking jokes, whatever. 
whatever it was. I wasn't cracking jokes when he was dying, just so you know. But just being by the bedside and you're going to be in the bed or wherever it happens. And Jesus is going to say, welcome. And you're there forever, safe and secure from all alarms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love, your mercy, that love of yours, and that goodness, Lord, that follows us, that leads us, that is above us, below us, on the sides and inside. We just thank you for being your sheep. Thank you for the privilege. You made it so easy, God. All we had to do was say yes. All we had to do was stop destroying our lives. And turn to you, Lord. You've been so faithful and kind and loving and patient. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to make you a promise tonight, no matter what you're struggling with. Stay close to your shepherd. And here it is. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. No matter what fill in the blank is. Stay close to him. He said, abide, abide in me. That means hang out with me. Stay close. And all of this is yours. Father God, we commit ourselves now to your care, (laughs) the care of the great shepherd who loved us so much and laid down his life for us, became a lamb, sacrificed for the sins of the world. Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. Help us to believe it, Lord, and to cling to these words and to live them out as you're always faithful. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, and all God's sheep said, (laughs) that's funny. God bless you. See you Sunday. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.